We're looking this morning at the subject of worldviews in conflict. One of the first really convincing movies on aliens and invaders from outer space was a movie called War of the Worlds. It was a 50-ish type of movie. They did do a remake of this in 2005, but I did not like that as much as this old movie, which you can see every once in a while on uh, American movie classics uh, produced by Turner. The movie in living color depicted these sleek cup-like flying saucers with huge periscope neck on top of which was a roving lens which had the power to pulverize anything in sight with a powerful laser beam. Now this is back in the 50s so you can imagine uh, this, the author of this and so forth were way ahead of their time. Well in the movie all of the conventional implements of warfare were employed by the military to fight back. They used bazookas and tanks and rockets and gunfire, even bombs. But the alien Martians just kept coming. And this was not just in America, but was all over the world. Nothing man could think of or employ was sufficient to stop these invaders. The whole movie was a depiction of utter human futility. And I think uh, that was the underlying message, a really good message too, I might add. Man's best was not good enough. Time and time again, and he thought up something new. Well, maybe this will work, or maybe that will work. Nothing worked. His intelligence could not measure up to the surpassing intelligence which had designed these unique flying and death machines. The world was doomed, not just America. And Earth, as we know it, was destined to be incinerated by these death rays. Well, the movie ends with many in the world community going to their churches to pray. And that is not found in the 2005 remake of this movie. So I like the old movie better. They began to pray, and as they began to pray, the Martian spaceships began to fall and crash one by one all over the world. Until none of them were left. It is a story about two worlds that were colliding. A Martian world relying upon its superior wisdoms of mass destruction, determined to eradicate all life forms through annihilation. And a God-fearing world which valued human life and which relied upon God to sustain it. No wonder that wasn't included in the newer version of the movie. Well, I want to say this morning that a similar war rages in our day, but the invasion is not Martians from outer space. Rather, it is the clash of alien worldviews. God and His wisdom versus man and His wisdom. Philosophies of life which are worlds apart. The two enemies are similar to the movie. They are both squared off against each other. On the one side is the Christian worldview, based upon the Bible and the infinite wisdom of God, who as sovereign rules and reigns over the universe. On the other side is the multi-faceted and numerous belief systems of finite men who seek to rule and to reign over the planet with no connection and no submission to God. And this disconnect from God is not accidental. No, it is on purpose. It is deep-seated in hatred for God and a defiance of His authority, just like the first sinner, and I'm not talking Adam and Eve, I'm talking Satan in his revolt against God in the heavens. 
Truth is abandoned for the lie. And Jesus said of the devil, he was a liar from the beginning. So there we have it. Truth versus the lie. And truth is abandoned for the lie. The lie is preferred. Look in our text, Romans 1, verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. For a lie. Verse 18 states that such suppress the truth by their wickedness. Can't just picture them holding it down. Don't want the truth to well up inside. Certainly don't want it to reach the mind and the heart and the conscience. Though they hold it down. And they do that through their wickedness. The more wicked they are, the more anti-God they are. The more anti-God they are, the more distant they are from God. So you see, the principle, since God is not wicked, since God is not evil and cannot approve of such conduct, God is exchanged for idols, verse 22, who have, either, have neither the brains nor the mouth to oppose the idolaters. How convenient. <laughs> Men like idols because idols can't talk back. They cannot oppose them. They have neither brains nor substance. They cannot direct or warn or reprove or condemn. So men like idols. Idols are just mute castings and replicas of the dumb, deaf, and ignorant men who made them. Verse 21 of our text says, Although they knew God, although they knew God. So here's where they started. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They didn't come into light. They were in light to start. They went into darkness. He goes on, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged, listen to this, the glory of the immortal God for images. Let that sink into you a little bit. Who did they have? The immortal, glorious God creator of the universe who had created them in His own image. And they chose to abandon Him for images. For idols. And this exchange established the battle lines. Fallen man and his self-proclaimed independence and alleged superior wisdom versus the all-knowing, all-wise God who made the universe and everything in it, including the now fallen and depraved sinners who oppose him. From this point on, there has been a clash of worldviews because everything the rebel does is anti-God. Anti-God. The rejection of God leads to perverse thinking evident in corrupt actions. Look at verse 26. Paul writes about shameful lusts. Well, they weren't, those things weren't there originally, but they're there now. Verse 27, he talks about perversion. Verse 28, he talks about the depraved mind, which leads to everything evil as described in verse 29 and following. And, oh, and by the way, right in the middle of that list, verse 29 and following, verse 30 lists, they are God-haters. God-haters. Such people are described by Isaiah as those who, quoting now, call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Isaiah 5 verse 20 and the next verse says, 
that they are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Clash of worldviews. I would say that we would be no different. In fact, we were no different, but we would be no different except that God's grace found us. And as Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 2, we are not to be conformed any longer, but you see we were, but he says we're not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But not, not till that happens. Only the transformed mind does approve of God and His will. And until that happens, our minds are opposed to what God wants, and we think like the rest of the God-haters in the world. So, a war is waging between the Christian who is committed to God and the unbeliever who is opposed to God. It's a war of ideas, of concepts, of thinking, which of course affects actions. It is a war of worldviews. Now you ask, well, what is a worldview? Well, let me just say first off that we all have one. Oh, I didn't know I had one. Yes, yes, you all have one. But do we all know what a worldview is? Well, think of a worldview um, as a suitcase in the brain in which we carry about all the things we believe about life and living and by which we assess, evaluate, and make decisions on every issue which confronts us. And it's not a suitcase with disconnected thoughts. Yet inside this suitcase is a web of beliefs that are interconnected so that you can't think one thought without it affecting other aspects of your life and eventually your actions. It is our belief network or... You throw out another word, our philosophy of life. You say, well, I'm not really into philosophy. Yes, you are. Everyone has a philosophy of life. And it's either a Christian philosophy or it is a secular anti-God philosophy. But you have a viewpoint on how to live your life. Every day, thousands of bits of information pass through our worldview and are processed. This is why we talked last time about having cohesive thinking, because without such, all these bits, all these pieces would remain unrelated, disjointed, and in the final analysis, meaningless. Worldview is the cement which holds the information together, analyzes it. It's able to come to conclusions on a course of action. It's your deep down beliefs about life. I could say it this way. Worldview is your convictions. It's your convictions on what is true and right and moral and beneficial or hurtful, as the case may be. These are your fundamental beliefs. All of us have them. They are the presuppositions, the things we assume to be true about intellect. Okay, what do you think is stupid or not stupid? Smart or wise? Cool or not so cool? That's all in your worldview. 
What we think about the physical body. What, what do you consider to be beautiful? Ugly. What we think is good to eat, not eat. The role of exercise with the body. Harmful habits of smoking or excessive drinking. Staying up late at night. What do you think about all those things? That's in your worldview. What we think about social interaction. Who are our friends? Who are our enemies? What about the rich? What about the poor? What about the strong? What about the weak? What governs good economics? Why we work? How do we spend our money? What's the role of saving? What's the role of our benevolences? What do we conceive as being moral, immoral, right, wrong, proper, improper, abortion, euthanasia? What's your views on that? It's all in your worldview. You see how we're using the word worldview. It's comprehensive. It's not just a little Lapeer or Thornville or Metamora. It is the world around you. And with modern media, you know, the world is brought to you in copious amounts every day. Worldview is you and me at our deepest level of reality. We develop our views over time, and when we become a Christian, our views begin to change. We immediately give up some of our old beliefs... Some others we hang on to until God shows us the error of them. But from the time of our coming to Christ, we began to process the data of life through different eyes. We began to evaluate and reevaluate all of our pet beliefs in light of the Bible's truth. This is a revelation to us. I mean, it's really mind-boggling. And it's also very disturbing. Very disturbing. It moves us out of our comfort zone. It causes us to reconsider all the things we thought we were jewels and prizes to be held onto that now appear to be trash. Trash. In Paul's words, let me give it to you from the Apostle. Now listen to the way he words this. Whatever was to my profit, that's a monetary term, isn't it? What's ever going to advance me, what's ever going to help my portfolio, my financial portfolio or what have you, or any other things, that, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3, verse 7 and following. Wow, something has really happened here. He has changed. His worldview has changed because Christ has come into his life. And so all of those things that he once loved and cherished and thought was, well, you know, this is just, boy, this is really living. He now considers them to be trash. The second truth about worldview is, not only do we all have one, but worldviews strive to be, or should strive to be, consistent. Now that plugs into last week's message. Because we're talking about truth as we see it, and truth that is connected and functional, any glaring inconsistencies would indicate lack of truth somewhere. I mentioned last time that Two opposing statements cannot be, both be true at one and the same time. And I used evolution and creation as the example. But here we're talking about 
consistency within the worldview itself. That is, a person, if consistent with their worldview, would be expected, here it is, to live what they say they believe. Fair, and that, that's fair, isn't it? They would live life, their life, by the guiding principles which they hold to be the truth. Let me give you a biblical example. It's in Romans 2, verse 17 and following. So you can just flip a page there in your Bible. And Paul is addressing the Jewish teachers of the law, and he is challenging them for their, get it now, inconsistencies. Here he goes. If you call yourself a Jew, and they were, of course, if you, re if you rely upon the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know His will, if you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, you then, who teach others, do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You that say people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who brag about the law. Do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And he gives them the answer. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because... Of you. Ooh. Talk about putting the sword of the word in and then giving it a twist. Paul's point in these questions is not to postulate a hypothetical scenario. If, if, if. No. These things were going on. His charge is that there's something radically wrong with a worldview which advocates one thing and does another. And in this case, as in the case of so many Christians, the worldview is correct, shouldn't steal, shouldn't commit adultery, shouldn't dishonor God, but the proponents aren't living it. They're not living it. We were talking about this in the adult class this morning. Y'all ought to be out for that. As Dan teaches on the cross-centered life. This is evident in the secular realm as well. For example, those who oppose the Christian worldview deny that there is a prior design to everything which gives the universe meaning. Richard Dawkins, an atheist and an evolutionist, states this. Listen to him. This is his admission. I didn't put these words in his mouth. These are words of his own mouth. He says, quote, The world looks as though it had been designed by a master craftsman. <laughs> Did I hear that right? I've seen this guy on TV, by the way. Richard Dawkins states the world looks as though it had been designed by a master craftsman. But even with this admission, Dawkins goes on to affirm, also quoting him, we don't need to postulate a designer to understand life or anything else in the universe. End quote. So, he observes that the world appears to have had a master craftsman design it, but then he rejects the necessity of including that information in order to truly understand the world in which we live. What is Dawson's problem? It is this. 
Should he conclude in his mind that the world was the product of a master designer, he would have to make major adjustments in his worldview, which at present has no room for the God designer. He would have to cease being an atheist, or at least cease being an evolutionist, or both. And additionally, Mr. Dawson would expect those who read the books that he writes that the words on the page of that book are put there by a designer, in this case himself, and express his thoughts the exact way the designer wanted them to be expressed. He therefore is inconsistent in his worldview. He sees a world of design by a master craftsman, but he cannot accept it because to do so would require him to abandon his atheist and evolutionist position. But in his own living, may I say in his own experience, he expects people to see design and purpose in the books that he writes espousing his views. His book is his book. He's the creator of his book. And he expects that when people pick it up, they say, oh yeah, Mr. Dawson says, Mr. Dawson believes, and so on. Because they're reading what he put down as a designed expression of his belief system. Well, brethren, there are many people like this. Many people like this. They say and teach one thing. That's their worldview. But they don't live it. And I know that Christians have been criticized because of being hypocrites. Saying one thing and living a different way. And we are. We do have that problem. But it's also in, in every other worldview and people that hold to that. If environmentalists insist that the saving of a deserted bear cup or a beached whale is important, we have every right to inquire of them why they are not just as adamant about saving the lives of defenseless human beings. If someone declares that truth is relative and that there is no such thing as absolute truth, we have every right to ask them to explain why the laws of the universe do not change. Why it would be absurd to assert that tomorrow human beings will start breathing water instead of breathing oxygen. If someone states that there are no moral absolutes, and there's a lot of people that are saying that these days, we should ask them to explain then why falsifying lab reports in a scientific study is grounds for criminal prosecution or why cheating on an exam in college is grounds for expulsion. If there's no moral absolutes. You can't say that's right or you can't say that's wrong. In all of this, I am saying that worldview must be consistent. We need to hold people's feet to the fire when they claim to believe a certain way, they ought to live that way. And if they don't, we, like Paul, with these Jews in Romans 2, need to point out the inconsistency so that they may either see the hypocrisy or reevaluate their position. All worldviews need to be challenged in this way. Third characteristic about worldviews is that they are exclusive of all others. I mean by that, what you believe as truth is what you believe is the truth. And that means that whatever any opposing belief system confronts your beliefs from your position now, from your position, you would have to conclude that the other position is wrong. Right? I mean, we get in arguments with one another because you think you're right and that other person is wrong. Opposing worldviews cannot both 
be right. Consistency would demand that you think you're right and the other guy is wrong. And I would say this is as it should be. If you admit you don't have things straight, you should abandon your error and adopt what is true. So everyone, either consciously or unconsciously, fights for their worldview. No, I'm right, you're wrong. We may not quite say it so boldly like that, but our actions show that. If different religions, for example, hold to radically different views on God, man, salvation, the age to come, they can't all be right. That's where we've gotten into this relativity stuff today. Non-Christians understand the principle of worldview, and we should too. They work tenaciously to displace the Christian worldview in our society based on their own secular worldview. That's what they're working from. I'll give you an example. The ACLU's position is no God. Okay? So, that accounts for their support of no public prayers, no Bible-based laws, no display of the Ten Commandments, no under God in the pledge to the flag, no religious oaths taken for office, no religious classes held in public buildings, no chaplains in the armed services, no model in God we trust written on our coin or our money. You see how their worldview, no God, affects everything they do and anything that they get involved in. An evolutionist, Daniel Dennett, writes this. Listen to him. He says, if you insist on teaching your children falsehood, that the earth is flat, that man is not a product of evolution by natural selection, then you must expect, at the very least, that those of us who have freedom of speech will feel free to describe your teachings as the spreading of falsehoods and will attempt to demonstrate this to your children at our earliest opportunity. Our future well-being, the well-being of all of us on the planet, depends on the education of our descendants. And Dennett goes on to advocate that evolution be enforced by the state as the official religion and that all talk of creation be banned from the public forum. You say, wow, how dare he? You know, he's working on his world from his worldview position. He's an evolutionist. He believes in that strongly. So here you come along and you want to teach creation. He said, no way, Jose. I want the state to be people who believe in natural selection. In Tennessee, a Christian couple tried to get some textbooks changed in the local school, and they were severely taken to task by a local columnist, and he wrote this. Someone should remind their, these parents that a sound education involves free exploration of ideas and facts. They may rant and rave against humanism and feminism and any other kind of ism on Sunday, but come Monday, the children belong to the school. End quote. Translation, don't bring your worldview into the classroom because we already have a worldview that we are teaching, and it has no room for Bible thumpers. It has no room for God. 
While this angers us as Christians, the other side of the coin is that as believers in the Bible and its teachings, we are to be busy trying to displace every secular, godless worldview through sound arguments and the empowerment of God's Spirit. Paul puts it this way. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. Now you might ask, well, now wait a minute. Don't we see Christians working with non-Christians in a number of issues? It means stopping abortion. You don't really think it's just the Christian community that's for that. Assisting the poor, building a hospital, opening a clinic, feeding the hungry. We see all this. We do. And this is possible because in all of these cases, the unbeliever is working within the framework, get it now, of the Christian worldview, not his own. Which, if he were an evolutionist, would believe in the survival of the fittest, right? How would that work out? Kill the weak, keep your money for yourself, and let all the ill die and make room for someone else. Let's have dog eat dog. But you see, there's, there's the re remnants of them being created in the image of God. So in these areas, they're inconsistent with their worldview of evolutionary outgrowth and atheistic anti-God views of existence. That's how we can work with people like this. Number four. The fourth characteristic of worldview is that they are the ideal medium of cultural change. So what do you mean by that? Well, hasn't our scientific community been transformed by Darwin's evolutionary worldview? Maybe you don't know this, but up until Darwin, up until Darwin, scientists like Sir Isaac Newton, Louis Pasteur, Galileo, were all committed Christians with a Christian worldview. Historically, the Christian worldview spread throughout the pagan Roman world through the preaching of the gospel, and the Roman Empire went from a culture which tortured and killed Christians to a culture in which it made Christianity the state religion under Emperor Constantine. Now, as Baptists, we don't believe in any state religion of any kind, even if it's a state religion that's going to supposedly support Christianity. It always gets into trouble because you get into these admixtures. But my point here is that worldviews, when believed and promulgated by sincere adherence, adherence changes cultures. Many of the Hollywood stars, for example, believe that they are the nation's conscience and the main driving force behind cultural change. In my generation it was people like uh, Martin Sheen, uh, Barbara Streisand, Bette Midler, Shirley MacLaine. More modern times, Miley Cyrus, Ashley Judd, Brad Pitt, Sean Penn. These are stars who try to use their star power to sway public opinion. Francis Ford Coppola, the, uh, the producer of the Godfather trilogy, wrote this. My dream is that the artist class people who have proven through their work that they are humanists. See, so you see where he's coming from. He, they believe in man, not God. Will seize the instrument of technology and try to take humanity into a period of history in which we can reach for utopia. Oh, where have we heard that one before? 
Man will lead us to utopia. He goes on. At the moment, the nation is in a fog. And we've got to put our headlights on. Artists are those who rely on their intuition. And they can be the nation's headlights. End quote. Now in this philosophy, the intuition of artists is the basic worldview. This underlying view that success in entertainment and the ability to make big money for artistic work is why the Hollywood stars come out in the press and in the media every election year to try to swing the votes to support their liberal worldview. This is why they support pro-abortion candidates, homosexual platforms, gun control agendas, one world government, euthanasia, and many other social issues. Their basic worldview is that they and they alone are the instruments of needed reform. The underlying truth, however, is that all worldviews have the potential to change culture. But the Christian worldview does so by changing lies on the inside first through repentance of sin and forgiveness in Christ and reconciliation to God. And any cultural change is due to individual change. That's why we need to get the gospel out. The fifth and final characteristic about worldviews is that they're all distorted. Let me say that again. All the worldviews are distorted. You might not think this about your worldview, but yeah, it's true. Sin is such in the individual that it has marred our ability to know as we should. We think we are objective... We think we can look at a problem, apply our logic, run it through our repertoire of experiences, and come up with a good, fair, reasonable solution. When we do this, even as Christians, we are doing what the person of the world does, namely, assuming that man is the measure of all things and must determine his own path of right, wrong, good, bad, practical, impractical, and on and on it goes. In actuality, for a worldview to be infallible, it must come from an infallible source. Our fallen nature means that we must look for this outside of ourselves. Fortunately, praise God, we have a source of knowledge and wisdom outside of ourselves. David says, Oh, how I love your law, speaking to God. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all of my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Psalm 119, verse 97 through 99. Now the psalmist is not bragging about his own abilities. He's doing just the opposite. He is saying that he is wise, he has insight, he is more intellectually astute than his teachers because God's word is his constant meditation. He is right. Without the Bible to direct our understanding, our worldview like that of any other contemporary would consist only of what we think is right. What we think is true. And in a sea of multiple speculative theories, who cares what you or I think? The Bible translates our world for us. And by God's grace, it allows us to see it through the eyes of the all-knowing Creator, 
God. And that's why we're right. And that's the only reason why we're right. The source of truth is outside of ourselves. So then, just to recap, here's five characteristics of a worldview. Number one, it's the underlying deep-seated beliefs and presuppositions that we believe comprise truth. It's our network through which we screen all of life's data and we all have a worldview. Number two, worldviews strive to be consistent. We try to practice what we say we believe. Our real worldview is what we live. Number three, worldviews are exclusive of all others. We're not afraid to say to another, you are wrong. It would be hypocritical to say less. Number four, worldviews are the medium for cultural change. We just need enough people promoting them living out their worldviews, if you're a Christian. And number five, all human worldviews are distorted. It is the fallible adherents who are distorted by sin. We, heed, we need a worldview from an infallible source. And praise be to God that He has spoken and He has given us the desire to listen. Now, if you think about your conversion to Christ. Well, how does Paul describe it? He says, we were translated from darkness to light. What's that? God snatched us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. You didn't arrive there on your own. It wasn't your intellect that kind of led you into the truth. It was a revolutionary miracle of new birth. Snatched, replaced. Darkness, light. Praise be to God. And so Christian worldview is not right because Christian people thought it up. It's not right because... We developed it. It's right because Christ himself, the Son of God, declares that he alone is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And no one comes before the Father except through him, though all will come before the Father to give an account of their life. Believers have God and Christ. The unbeliever has neither. And so they're just at the mercy of their own thoughts. What's that? It's Romans 1. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images of man, beast, fish, and other human beings. What they have is their idols. What they exchanged, they've gotten rid of God. Brethren, we're in a solid position to know the truth and to believe the truth. But let's practice the truth. Let's not be like the Jews in Romans 2, where Paul says, you're teaching one thing, but you're living another way. What we teach, what we preach, may we live it so that the world can see, whoa, these people have a different philosophy of life and they're living it. I don't agree with it, but they're consistent. Let's be consistent. Father, thank you for your word. Thinking straight in a crooked world, whoa. Everyone has a viewpoint on life. Everybody thinks their viewpoint is right, true, proper. They rely on it. I think people would go crazy if they didn't believe that their system of thought was accurate and true. 
We're not meant to live with all that uncertainty and, and, and so on. But without God in the mix, it's like Dawkins acknowledging that the universe indicates an orderly designed maker, but then saying, I'm not going to consider that as part of my worldview on how I explain the universe that I see. Lord, help us as Christians to live consistently. We have an infallible source for our worldview. It's God Himself. It's found in His Word. And if we think your thoughts, if we see through your eyes, if we hear what you hear, then we will evidence that we are truly children of the light, brought out of darkness. Forgive us our sin, Lord, because sometimes we have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God, and we try to do this straddle thing. We try to walk in both kingdoms, obtaining the best of both worlds, not heeding what Jesus has taught us, that we cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot serve both. You cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world, James tells us. We cannot love God and love the world, John writes. They're, they're so diametrically opposed. Help us to convey this to our friends and neighbors and relatives. Because unless they too come from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, they will go to the grave believing in their worldview, believing what they believe, believing what they've been taught, living by those rules, living by that information, and they will perish because they believe the lie over the gospel. I know, Lord, that only you can change a heart. Oh, there's someone here today struggling with what's truth, what's not truth, what's moral, what's immoral, what's right, what's wrong. Lord, show them yourself. Lift up Jesus, the interpreter of life, and help us to live consistently. In Jesus' name, amen.